The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's take our Bibles, if you wouldn't open them, to Joshua chapter 20, Old Testament book of Joshua chapter 20. For the past several Lord's Supper observances, I guess uh, for more than a year, we were in the series Seeking the Savior and the Sacrifices, and that made transitioning uh, from those sermons into a sermon about the Lord's Supper a very easy transition. In fact, we really didn't have to transition at all. Because there is a natural flow of Old Testament typology into New Testament typology. Uh, because both the Old Testament sacrifices and the Lord's Supper speak of the death of Christ. So it's not hard to transition. But we are out of those sermons now. And we have an opportunity this evening to see another Old Testament picture of Christ as Israel moved from the reception of the law to the inheritance of the promised land of Canaan. And there are more indicators of Christ that we find in the Canaan experience. There are marvelous scenes of of Christ's redemption and uh, what takes place in our lives when we become Christians. For example, Canaan is typical of the Christian life. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and, and we are secure in our salvation. We have no doubts about that, but we all have daily battles with temptation. Satan is always out there. We wrestle and we fight against him. So every day that we live is a struggle for holiness. And the experience of Canaan is typical of the Christian life in that respect, all the battles that must be fought. Well, this evening, I'd like for us to think about Christ as the refuge for sinners. And we're going to look at this from the perspective of another of the Old Testament types that's found here in the book of Joshua And this is the assignment of the cities of refuge. So if you'll look in Joshua chapter 20, we'll read the entire chapter. Joshua chapter 20, verse number 1. The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither, And they shall be for your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he that doth flee unto one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elder of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand because he smote his neighbor unwittingly. And hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment. And until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come unto his own city and unto his own house. Unto the city from whence he fled. And they appointed Kedesh in Galilee and Mount Naphtali. And Shechem in Mount Ephraim. And Kirjath Arba which is in Hebron in the mountain of Judah. And on the other side, Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness upon the plain out of the tribe of Reuben and Ramoth in Gilead out of the tribe of Gad and Golan in Bashan out of the tribe of Manasseh. 
These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger that sojourneth among them, that whosoever killeth any person at unawares might flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. The first verse of this chapter says, The Lord also spake unto Joshua. Now, in the first chapter of Joshua, Moses, the, the great lawgiver and the deliverer of Israel, had died. And the reins of leadership were passed on to Joshua, who was Moses' minister, and he was to lead Israel in the conquest of Canaan. Joshua was a brilliant military commander, and he was able to conquer Canaan, which was the land that God had promised Abraham some 600 years before this. And here in chapter 20, we're at the end of that conquest. The land is now safely in the possession of Israel, and it's being divided between the 12 different tribes. And so each of the tribes received a portion of land, although there were two tribes that received their entire portion on the eastern side of Jordan. But all of them received a tract of land, an area of the country that belonged to them, that is, all of the tribes but Levi. Levi's inheritance was not uh, a piece of land, uh, a large section of land like the other tribes received, but rather Levi received an allotment of 48 cities that were scattered throughout the entire land. That was all the way in the north from Dan down to the south uh, where Judah and Simeon were. And then also uh, cities on the eastern side of Jordan where Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh had taken a possession. And among these 48 cities that were given to Levi, there were special ones, six special ones, that were known as cities of refuge. Here in Joshua 20, this speaks of these cities of refuge, and they're a picture of the wonderful salvation that is provided for us in Jesus Christ. Now, there are some who approach the Old Testament as nothing but a book of laws, and there is no grace in the, in the Old Testament. And I think we've successfully disproved that with all of our studies on Old Testament sacrifices. And once again, here we see the grace of God in providing for the people the cities of refuge. And these were necessary because when Moses brought down the law from Mount Sinai, Israel then was established as, the, as a nation. They were a nation of laws, but what Israel didn't have was a national police force to enforce all of the laws. But where there's law, there are always lawbreakers. And so if you rode your camel too fast, someone would break the law, maybe. But there's nobody there to give you a speeding ticket, which is the way things ought to be. And uh, rather, than a, rather than a police force, there was just sort of an honor system that if, that if you saw your neighbor doing something he shouldn't do, then it was your responsibility to report that to the elders of the city or the elders of the tribe in which you lived. And then these cases were investigated then tried in a court of law. And the intention was that justice would be very swift, the guilty would be punished, and the innocent would go free. Now, Joshua 20 deals with the justice system, particularly in the cases of accidental death. In ancient cultures of, of that time, uh, there was a system that if one of your family members was killed, that the family would appoint a person who was known as the avenger of blood. And the avenger of blood had the right to track down the killer and avenge the life of the one that was killed. In the law, as given to Moses, there wasn't a, a clear distinction between 
uh, between what should happen to a person who shed another man's blood, whether it was murder or by accident or what it was, uh, the law simply said that if a man sheds another man's blood, then his or another person's blood, then his life should be taken from him. But there was, there was a problem with that, and that is, what if the death was unintentional? Unintentional. Now, Numbers, which is the fourth book of the law, gives a hypothetical case of two men that are chopping wood in the in the uh, uh, in the woods, and suddenly, without warning, the axe head flies off of the axe handle and strikes one of the men and kills him. And according to the custom, there would be an avenger of blood who was appointed to go after that man, and he could kill that man and execute judgment right there on the spot. But where there are extenuating circumstances, you have a problem. If it's an unintentional killing, if it's an accident. So what is this man to do if he has accidentally killed someone and yet there is an avenger of blood who's been sent to, to kill him? And that's what these cities of refuge were for. The man could flee to one of these cities that was located near enough to reach before the avenger of blood arrived. And from there he would be protected until his case was investigated. A decision was made in a court of law. Is it an accident or is it murder? And so these cities were, were God's provision for those who found themselves in helpless circumstances. Now this afternoon I want to show you that that is a type of how God deals with guilty sinners who have no hope to escape his divine justice. Now first we would note the preparation of salvation. When the major battles, the conquest of Canaan were done, when Israel had subdued the land, the time had come for them to occupy their possession. And so they began to build the nation. The law had been given and the law was in force and they were to live by that law in their interactions uh, in their daily lives. And with law, there's, there's always a supposition that the law will be broken. Yes, this will happen. Someone will drive their camel too fast and someone might accidentally run over a child as he crosses the street. And it's just our natural propensity that we break the law so that there is never a law of God that doesn't carry with it a penalty. And God gave these cities of refuge because he knew the law would be broken and these offenses, types of offenses, needed to be dealt with. A law that has no penalties is not a law at all. So first we can see that these cities of refuge were prepared for an anticipated need. This need will arise that judgments need to be made. Someone is going to break the law. That's inevitable. Someone in Israel would sin. And of course that had already happened many times because that's what people do. And when we think of our, of our natural propensities, the Bible says that all of us have broken God's law. You know it says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible teaches that we're sinners by nature, we are sinners by choice and by practice. And so it's no surprise to God that anyone that when you're born that you are a sinner. God wasn't surprised when one day in the Garden of Eden that Adam decided that he would eat of the forbidden fruit. And uh, there are many, though, who think that, well, what happened when Adam ate that fruit? Did God step back and he said, oh, no, what am I going to do now? I didn't expect that would happen. And so God started to figure out the problem and how he would fix man and satisfy justice. But that's not the teaching of Scripture. God made the world with the full intention that man would be the crowning point of his creation. And he knew exactly what Adam would do. And knowing that, he prepared for it. 
he already had a plan in place whereby he, that is God himself, would become man. And he would offer himself as the sacrificial payment for sins. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. So this need would arise. God knew that it would. Men would become sinners. And so God said in his mercy, I will take care of this myself. And we know that it would have been holy. It would have been righteous and just if God had left us, had left man in his sins. God is not obligated to do anything for any person. But God is loving and God is merciful. And without coercion, he planned to redeem fallen man. Now, since God can't be coerced and God has no obligation to anyone, then he has a right to devise a plan and decide who among the fallen race that he would redeem. Now, secondly, the cities of refuge were prepared for an urgent need. As soon as the killing was discovered, the avenger of blood was dispatched. And the man was in jeopardy at that very hour. And if he did not quickly flee to one of those cities, he would be caught without mercy, without investigation. And the avenger of blood had the right to kill him. No matter if he was on the way to the city, and no matter how good his intentions were to get there, no matter how innocent that he believed he was, he was in imminent danger. And every step towards that city, he was in jeopardy. And so it was urgent for him to get to the city of refuge as quickly as possible to proceed there post-haste. And I might remind you also that the Bible makes it very clear that the predicament of sinners is urgent, that we are in jeopardy, that at any moment our lives can be taken from us. No one knows what the next breath holds. And every minute that you live, you're closer to death than you were or ever have been before. Jonathan Edwards, in his great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, described our lives as being suspended by the thinnest of threads over hell. And he said that we're right now hanging over the precipice of hell, and we have as much ability to stop our headlong plunge into that place as a spider's web has the ability to stop a falling rock. Scripture says the need is urgent. It says today is the day of salvation. And nowhere in the Bible do we find that we're supposed to wait about this decision. You remember the story of how when Paul stood before Felix and preached the gospel, that Felix trembled and he said to Paul, go your way, go your way for this time, and when there is a more convenient season, then I'll call for you. And that convenient time never came. As far as we know, Felix perishes in the fires of an eternal hell. Now this we do know, that no one is innocent of sin. The need is urgent. Every day that we live without Christ, there is an avenger of blood. That avenger is death. Death is coming for everyone. And if we die without coming to Christ, we die under the penalty of law. And scripture says that penalty is death. And so we die without hope, we die without refuge, and we die without Christ. But the good news is that God prepared for that urgent need by providing for us an instant salvation. There isn't a process for us to go through. There aren't any sacraments that we must keep. There's no penance that needs to be done. We only need to do this, and that is repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. He is the refuge, and every person that comes to him can reach him immediately. So first, God prepared for our salvation. 
Next, we see the provision of salvation. Now, I want to explain to you four important provisions of our salvation. The first three are God to man. The last is man to God. Now, the first provision in our salvation is the ability to help the sinner. These cities of refuge performed as advertised. There are six cities there, and they're close, so that no matter where a person would find himself in trouble, he could flee to one of these cities. And his refuge, once he got there, was guaranteed. If he must escape the avenger of blood, then he only needs to flee to the city. But he needs to know that there are only these six cities for someone who's troubled in this way. For the one that the avenger of blood is after, there are only these six cities that he can flee to. Now, yes, it's true. The Levites had 48 cities that were scattered throughout the entire land, but none of them or the other 42 weren't places of refuge. And so a person who was in trouble couldn't say, well, my hometown is closer, or this city over here is closer to me. I'll go there. I'll find my refuge there. This city is nicer than the other ones, and so I'll be safe if I go there. No, those other cities had no ability to make a man safe. And so if he's caught there, whether sincerely thinking that he would be safe in that place, or if he's just doing it defiantly, if he's caught, he will be killed. Israel had one plan of safety, and this is the designated cities of refuge. And this teaches us that the only way that a sinner can be helped is to come God's way. If you're saved, there's... Only one way to come, if you will be saved. The only place to find refuge is in Jesus Christ. It's to be under the blood of Christ, because he's the only one who satisfied God for sin. He's made satisfaction for all who believe in him. Peter said this well in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So we'll not be saved in the city of good works. We'll not be saved in a city of baptism. We'll not be saved in the city of Allah. There's no person who'll be saved in the city or the planet of Mormonism. There aren't ten ways to God. And there aren't two ways to God. There's one way to God. There's no one who comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. He's the only city of refuge. Now next is the in the provision is the availability for every sinner. Now, you might think that what we have here is a provision only for Jews. I mean, after all, this is what we're talking about, Jewish law. But what about that stranger, or what about the non-Jew who's in the land and he finds himself in this predicament? What is he to do? Well, to find out the answer to this, we, we go to Numbers where Moses told Israel what they must do when they set up these cities of refuge. And Moses said in Numbers 35, verse 15, These six cities shall be a refuge, both for the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that every one that killeth any person unawares may flee thither. Now there we see that anyone, it says, whether a Jew or a Gentile, anyone, no matter who they are, no matter if they're rich or poor, no matter the occupation, no matter the color of their skin, Anyone can flee to these cities. And, and this is what the New Testament teaches about salvation in Christ. Paul wrote in Romans, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And then he says in Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And these scriptures teach us that salvation is available to all. And did you know there's only one requirement for someone who wants to be saved? There's only one requirement. You must be a sinner. And if you're a sinner, the Bible teaches you can be saved. You don't have to be anything else but a sinner. Does that mean that all sinners will be saved? No, it doesn't mean that. No more than uh, anyone who failed to go into a city of refuge would be saved from the avenger of blood. But the truth is, you must go to the city. And if you will be saved, you must go to Christ. You must admit that you are a sinner. You must confess your sins and repent of your sins. And you must believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. So that's it. This is all the Bible requires. That we admit that we are vile, wretched sinners. And that uh, God will save us if we will turn in faith to Christ. So there's no one excluded from that. No one is excluded from one of these cities. If he met the criteria of needing this Uh, needing the refuge of that city. So Christ then, we see, is available to any sinner who will come to him. And I would remind you that in all the doctrines that we teach, we've never failed or faltered on this one. This is what we believe, that salvation is available to all. Now thirdly, in God's provision, there is accessibility for every sinner. There is ability, there is availability, and there is accessibility. Now, this is a wonderful thing to know that salvation is available to all, but what good is salvation if I can't access it? One of the things the Jews had to do was to make sure that the way to these cities was clear. In Deuteronomy 19, the scripture says, Thou shalt prepare thee a way. It was Jewish law that every year people were sent to repair the roads and to clear the way so that people could get to these cities. If there were any boulders that fell across the road in the mountain passes, if there were any trees that had fallen during a storm, all of those were to be cleared out. Everything is to be moved. If they discovered that the spring rains have come or, or whenever the, the rains did come, that it furled out the roads, made grooves in the road, the roads are rutted out, well, then those roads need to be smoothed. So the path there is an easy path to follow. And the purpose of it was to remove all the difficulties of getting to the city. They also had to check the signs to see if the signs were clearly legible. Because each of these cities had a a road sign that marked it that said Miklat. And that word Miklat means refuge. And so they, they repaired the roads, they repaired the signs, and they made sure that there's no mistake in the directions. There's no obstacle that would prevent any person who needs this city from going there. And so we also find it in the way of salvation. That God did not make his way of salvation difficult. The ones who add difficulty to it are, are men. Men, people are the ones who add all sorts of stipulation to their schemes of salvation. And so they have rituals and they have sacraments. There are these things that they say that you must keep and that's the way that you get to heaven. And then after you do all of those things, the road's still rough and you might not make it after all. But salvation's not like that. Salvation is not difficult for the sinner. But did you know, we as Baptists are accused of being narrow-minded, of obstructing the way of salvation, when the truth is we are the most open-minded about salvation of all people. I never said that you have to be a member of a Baptist church to go to heaven. And yet Roman Catholics claim that you need to be a member of their church. I never said that you need to be baptized to get to heaven. And yet, the Catholics again, churches of Christ and Lutherans, they all add that. I never said that you have to go to confession. 
or that you've got to pray to Mary. But there are others that say you do. What I say, and what our church teaches, is that Jesus Christ died to save us from our sins. And so Jesus never asked us to do anything. He's already done it all. And I'm saying that if you come with an offering in your hand, something to offer for your salvation, it will be refused. God doesn't want it. God doesn't count anything that you have. He doesn't want to share credit for your salvation with you. He does it all. And so the Word of God says that even your faith comes from Him. He's not even going to share your ability to believe in Him. Salvation is readily accessible. So all that we need to do for the lost sinner is clear the way. All we need to do is set up a road sign that points to Jesus Christ. Don't be confused with other signs. Miklach is not Christ plus Mary. It's not Christ plus sacraments or Christ plus anything else. But then there's another very important point. There's ability to save, availability to save, accessibility to save. All of that's from God's side. But there is another side to this, and this one is your side. And that is accountability for every sinner. You are accountable to come. Now, the Bible teaches God's sovereignty and salvation, but it also teaches human responsibility. The man must get up and flee to the city. The remedy for what's wrong is there. And he must avail himself of that remedy. So he couldn't sit down and just say, Oh, well, if I will be set free, I'll be set free. Fate will allow me to be set free. I don't need to move from where I am. No, the avenger of blood would be on him in a heartbeat and would kill him. So he got up and he went as fast as he could to the city. And folks, this is the way that God works in our heart that when a sinner has been awakened to his sin, when he becomes sensible of it, when he begins to understand and the Holy Spirit has revealed to him the consequences of that sin, then that man gets up and that man goes and he flees to Jesus Christ because he's been made sensible, I can't stay where I am. And so when he knows that hell is waiting there to receive him, and he's hanging by that thread ready to fall in, he'll not sit there and say, oh, nothing is required of me. No, he's been drawn by cords of love, and so he comes freely responding to the call of Christ. That's the way the Holy Spirit works in salvation. Now, friends, all of us are accountable to God. God commanded all men everywhere to repent, and Christ is the only refuge for the repentant sinner. Well, there is one other aspect of the cities of refuge. There is much more that I could say on every one of these points. But our purpose tonight is we want to get to the visualization of refuge that's found in the supper. So we have provision, our preparation, and there is provision. And our third, our third observation is the protection of salvation. The city of refuge is as the name describes. It is the place of refuge. There is no harm that comes to the person who flees to that city because the avenger of blood knows that when the man reaches there, he is safeguarded. There is no harm that can come to him. Now, obviously, the person can't be an intentional murderer. The trial will find that out. They will inspect all this. They will examine it. And if the man is not innocent, then he would be cast out and put to death. But here is a, a wonderful... Uh, aspect of our salvation that when you come to Christ and you receive him as savior you receive the pardon of your sins and the pardon doesn't come because you are innocent on your merits no you're guilty 
All of us are deserving as death, as deserving as we can possibly be. So we're not innocent, but we can be declared justified because Jesus took the penalty of sin for us and he set us free and declared us judicially guiltless on his merits. Not ours, but on his. When he came to this earth, he lived a perfect life. He earned righteousness that he could give us. No one is released from any guilt because we're pardoned without a payment. No, God says justice must be satisfied. There is a penalty to be paid. And Jesus is the one who paid that penalty and satisfied God's law for us. That's what we call real penal substitution. Christ earned righteousness that's given to us for our justification. Well, there are two beautiful pictures of protection found in the cities of refuge. The first is safety in the life of Christ. Look at verse 6 in Joshua 20. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come to his own city and unto his own house unto the city from which he fled. So the man that fled to the city of refuge, he must stay there until the death of the high priest. Now, are you ready? Are you ready to get the, the truth out of this, the picture God wants us to see? Does anybody here know anything about high priests from our studies? Do you know anything about the high priest? Well, all of you should be experts in the typology of the high priest. That during the tenure of the high priest's life, the slayer is always safe in the city. Now, in our salvation, who is our great high priest? That's Jesus Christ, isn't it? He's our great high priest. And the scripture says about him, he ever lives to make intercession for us. So as long as Christ lives, our great high priest, we're safe in him. And for you to lose that protection, it would mean that the eternal Christ has stopped living. He stopped interceding. And I'm not talking here about the death of the cross. I mean the eternal son of God must cease to exist. He ever lives to make intercession for us. So to stop our salvation, to lose it, he must stop interceding. And the only way that can happen is for God to go out of existence. An eternal being cannot cease to exist. And so as long as he lives, we live. Well, the life of the high priest, while the man's in the city of refuge, pictures this. But you also remember, we're talking about a man. The high priest... In this instance, is just a man, and he doesn't have the power of an endless life. Now, again, what does Scripture say about our high priest? What well, says in Hebrews seven twenty four twenty five? But this man, that is Christ, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Then in the sixteenth verse of that same chapter, it says Christ has the power of an endless life. Now, since the high priest, that, that is the physical high priest, in Israel is only a man and he's not capable of an endless life, this typology is not perfect. And because of that, there had to be another stipulation that's added to the law to help that man out when the physical priest died. Now, if you would think back to our studies uh, on priesthood and sacrifices and all of those things, we learned that there were some sacrifices that couldn't be pictured by one animal. Is that right? You couldn't picture death and resurrection with one animal. So there were two that were prepared. Uh, there were two birds, for instance. One is set free and one, one of the birds was killed. 
Well, here you can't have a physical man who can represent the endless life of Jesus Christ. So there has to be another stipulation added to the law to picture this aspect. And this part is about the high priest would die. Then the man, when, when the high priest died, when that priest is died, then he can go back to his own city and he's free and the avenger blood can't touch him. Now, how we're going to work this out to make the picture complete for us is to understand that we have freedom in the death of Christ. That Christ also died, and because of the cross, we have freedom in him. That all who flee to Christ for refuge are free from the penalty and the power of sin. Romans says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So what Christ's death did was to cancel the sin debt for every believer, and because Christ died, and we believe that death has appropriated salvation to us, now we're free to walk in the newness of life. And so then Christ's life becomes our protection and Christ's death becomes our propitiation. That is our covering for sin. Now do you see how, how wonderful this, this refuge for sinners, this great picture that we have here? And th- this, this, is, this just shows us that the way to the cross is clearly marked. That God has given us a road map. And that road map is his holy word that leads us all the way there to where we need to be. And if you ignore the signs and if you miss the road, you miss heaven and you miss eternal life. Now I know as believers and as church members, you came here tonight because you appreciate the death of Christ. You know what that means. And you are assured right now that Christ Someday we'll return. He'll take you to heaven. And should you die before he comes, you're still on your way to heaven. But your church membership and your presence here at the supper is not the guarantee of eternal life. The refuge is not membership in the church. It's not participation in this supper. Those folks are symbols of life. They aren't life. True life is in the person, what the symbol represents. And that is in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, Redeemer, and Lord. And so if there is someone here that mistook the road, never got on the road, you're not sure whether the avenger of blood will catch you, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And the supper is not for you until you are securely in the city of refuge. So we ask anyone who needs Christ, and I don't know, even among church members, this can be true, that there are some who do need Christ. Come to Jesus now, because he's able to save. He is available to save. He is accessible to save us. Now, I'd like for us to bow our heads for prayer. Our deacons and our musicians will come for the singing of the communion hymn and preparation for the supper. So if you would bow your heads, let's Let's pray, and then we will sing our communion hymn. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you after having read your word in Joshua chapter 20. And we have found here beautiful pictures of the salvation that we have in Christ. We thank you, we thank you, Lord, that you provided a refuge for us. Without this refuge, we would die in our sins. There would be no hope for us. And we just thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ came and he made... Um, He made that sacrifice for us. And the road is made clear in the Word of God to tell us if we just come to Him, if we just repent of our sins and put our faith in Him, then we have refuge. We will be saved from the wrath that is to come. 
And Lord, we thank you for the Lord's Supper, for the beautiful pictures that we find here of the death of Christ. And Lord, we do need to remember this, as your word says. Remember, remember, uh, do this in remembrance of you. Because this is all about that refuge that saves us from our sins. Bless us tonight, Lord, as we participate as your church in this Lord's Supper observance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275. Or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.